You are tuned to the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. It has been a long time in coming, but this week we can report a major development for a local company. The Federal Drug Administration has given emergency use approval to Oceanit for a new rapid COVID test. It is called Assure 100. The FDA hurdles were challenging for a local company that hoped to produce the test locally. But without the initial financial backing, it turned to South Korea to produce a rapid surveillance test for COVID that was piloting in some private schools in Hawaii. So what does this approval mean at this juncture as we transition from a pandemic to endemic? Across the state, the counties are starting to ease COVID restrictions this week. We talked to Oceanit's president and CEO Patrick Sullivan this morning about the approval for Assure 100, a shallow nasal rapid test developed using AI, artificial intelligence. Patrick, what does this mean getting this approval, though, so late in the COVID game? Well, I think for us, you know, it's something that we can not only use locally and across the U.S. I think President Biden just came out today with a comment that they're going to spend a billion more dollars to back up and, and prepare for the next version of Omicron by buying rapid tests. But the rest of the world needs tests, too. And I think the U.S. FDA is a gold standard for medical devices. And in this case, because of that, it's something that is more desirable than tests that might come from other places. So there's an enormous market. I mean, not only in the U.S. where the they estimated need for testing is enormous and still unmet, but across the world, the need is there. And the, the way to live with COVID-19, I think you've heard people talk about, but vaccinating and testing, right? Testing, masking, vaccination. So mask when you think you need to, if you're in a closed room with people you don't know. Testing if you're trying to create a bubble to operate so everybody's feeling comfortable. Uh, testing so you can determine if you've got the flu, a bad hair day, or you've got Omicron. And uh, vaccination, which... It would not surprise me at all if there's another booster coming somewhere in the future specific to the next version of the variant. And I think uh, Omicron has already uh, had a new variant launch from it, and it's increasing in prevalence. So it's hard to know. But we're going to be living with this for a while. What does this approval mean for Oceanit? I know you were working with South Korea to produce these tests. Yes. So what happens now? So we'll be ramping up manufacturing. Now, that was one of the key things is to get approval, you not only need to have the science nailed down, but what, you, what we're doing is you've got to be able to produce it on scale with sufficient quality, what's called traceability. So that means anything that goes out there, if there's any problem with it, you know exactly where it came from and which batch and all that kind of stuff. So we found a, a, a partner and we, we worked with them to produce this test, essentially running the factory there. And um, so the goal is, you know, we're, we're looking at trying to build 10 to 20 million a month, I think, and, you know, selling them all over. And you were trying them out, I think, in some uh, schools here in Hawaii. Yes, uh, early on, we were collaborating with schools, uh, helping them with this uh, idea around surveillance. So if you take a group of people and you de-identify, you know, you, you get them in a room, they can all uh, uh, do a, a test and you identify the results and somebody in that group, if they've got it, then you go through and you would do the, the uh, PCR test. In this case now, you could use this directly and make a diagnostic, uh, you know, a diagnosis. 
And so how soon before we might be able to see these on the market? Well, we've got some that we we produced that are, uh, I think, stockpiled, so we can get those going pretty quickly. I think now the question is uh, increasing the sales. And the way these things go, as you know, when, when the virus is raging, everybody needs them. When the virus is not, everybody wants to get back to normal and kind of forget about it. And that makes sense. So you've got parts of the world right now, for example, South Korea, Japan, but you've got parts of uh, you know, Africa, Middle East, parts of Europe. So as this sweeps around the planet, our goal is to be able to make them available to different parts of the world to support it when they need it. To do that, what we're doing is trying to build a steady supply. And they're relatively simple to use. So we simplified it greatly using some of the work we do in design thinking to kind of eliminate steps and make it so that pretty much anybody anywhere can get a good answer. We discovered that that was important. We started out with a saliva test and then we pivoted to a nasal test. And one of the reasons was is because not everybody can spit on command. And uh, it was an interesting, I mean, we actually had it working pretty well, but then I remember looking at watching people do the test and I thought sometimes older people can't spit. And of course, older people are, need to be able to do the test. Whereas it's a shallow nasal test now. So it doesn't, it's not painful, it's fast, and uh, it's relatively easy. How different- it's a pivot, but we made many pivots to get where we are. How different is your test uh, from what's on the market now? Well, it's similar, except in my opinion, it's, uh, uh, I think it's a little more sensitive. Our data indicates that. And uh, I think it's easier to use. And as far so, as the shelf again, life? Yeah, we think um, we haven't seen it expire. We, we actually are doing these tests where we produce batches and then we, uh, we, we pull one out every so often to see how it's doing. And so it's, it's been a while, so we're thinking a few years. And so looking back at this experience, you know, because it's been a couple of years now and you've had to you know, zigzag over this uh, application uh, for this test and tweak it as you've gone along. But, you know, just looking back at this experience, what are your thoughts? Well, this is the first of many things we plan to do. So it was an important exercise to train what I think is a relatively young team at Oceanit. Uh, we created a platform technology. We originally set out to look at diseases like cancer. And um, we have a tool set for that. So our goal is really to address those issues. But when the pandemic hit, we asked ourselves, what can we do to help make a difference? And a rapid test is what we came up with. And uh, it took us a while to get there. You know, Hawaii doesn't have a lot of the infrastructure, but we were determined to do it because we think it's really should be driven more by um, education and imagination. And one of the challenges as you can imagine, as we're trying to do this without all the equipment, where normally you could fly around the world and do things, there were a lot of flight restrictions during COVID. So it just added one more layer of complexity to get anything done. But by doing it, what we're hoping to do is to kind of open up what we think is a huge emerging digital medicine. And what we're, we're calling it is skilled forward edge manufactured medicine. So that's where we're pointed. And so we have a lot of things to do in a platform technology to get us there. 
And there's no reason why you can't do that in Hawaii. It's um, these things, you know, molecules are relatively light. Um, they just require bright people to work hard. And of course, working with a regulatory agency. And now we've gotten to know them. I think we were the, the only people from this part of the world. I think it caught everybody by surprise because, you know, they normally don't think of Hawaii as the place to do this kind of work. But I think we're getting to know each other now, and and I think that was a, that was progress. So sometimes baby steps, but you know, we literally created a platform, and this is the first of several things we want to move and, and produce with that platform. But you must feel pretty good. I mean, this is validation after years of work, decades of work. Yes, I, I do. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud of the team and uh, the things that they did. A lot of people, a lot of hands helped. Lot of encouragement because as you can imagine it's kind of a hard lonely trail sometimes <laughs> yes and uh, you know as as omicron was was surging and you know as delta surged and and there was this panic to find tests you you just must have been beside yourself yes yes well because here we've got this thing which looked really good but we needed to get this approval and uh I mean, we spent months and months and months in that process, which, you know, we're not saying it was fair or unfair, it just was. And um, I think the, the process, don't want to complain about mm-hmm. it, but we were we were hoping it would move faster. Yeah. But it turned out, I think, you know, coming from Hawaii, I don't think we were necessarily taken seriously in the beginning. That was Ocean. It's Patrick Sullivan talking about getting FDA emergency use approval for a rapid COVID test. He applauded the work ethic and innovation for his team of his team for reaching this milestone. Hey there, it's DJ Mr. Nick. You may know me from Bridging the Gap, the eclectic music show that airs weekdays from 10 p.m. to midnight on HPR One. Oh, you're asleep by then, you say? Too late for you? Well, not to worry. My show and many other HPR music programs can be streamed on demand whenever you want, no matter your bedtime. For the full list, head to our website. This is a conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your backyard quiz. Onihoa, olehua, onihau, okaua, oahu, omolokai, olanai, omau, okaholabe, ohavai. In today's Backyard Quiz, we're looking at a Native Hawaiian music artist. Born in 1903, she was the youngest of five children and later Hanai to friends of her mother. Her Hanai family was not musical, but she nonetheless learned to play the ukulele. She was discovered by radio manager Marion Mulroney while singing in a mango tree. For her first radio performance, Mulroney booked her for a 10-minute set, but listeners flooded the lines and she sang for an hour. Bye. 
Musically, she was known for her ha'i, emphasizing the transition between a singer's lower and falsetto vocal ranges. Her wide-ranging career included occasional singing gigs with the Royal Hawaiian Band and forming a musical troupe with her siblings and, at one point, her own radio show. In 1995, Lena Machado, Hawaii Songbird, was among the first to be named to the Hawaiian, Hawaiian Music Hall of Fame. So, for today's Backyard Quiz, can you tell us the name of the musical troupe she formed with her siblings? Call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareed Hawaii, which is committed to supporting nonprofits providing senior rental housing for veterans in the islands, such as EAH Housing. NareedHawaii.com. As a miles-long convoy of Russian troops closes in on the capital city of Kyiv, organizers behind the group Hawaii We Stand with Ukraine call on the community f- for support. We hear from Oahu residents fearful of what's to come. It's a travesty. They're invading a sovereign country. But as a result, what has happened now with all of the sanctions that have been put in place, his own people are protesting against this, as well as the Ukrainians. And they, Ukrainians are showing great great courage in this so you know god bless them as far as i'm concerned russia has no valid reason for being into ukraine other than wanting to expand their empire i think that the countries around the world need to support ukraine even better send in i hate to say send in troops but at least work faster at sending in relief and weapons for the ukrainians to use I'm afraid we may wind up in an all-out war in Europe. Kind of scares me. One of the biggest things I feel that we could do to curtail this is to put sanctions on Russia's export petroleum products. It's going to be a, a terrible hardship for the rest of Europe. In fact, even for Hawaii, because I noticed the other day, Russia is one of our larger importers of oil into Hawaii. We don't even import any American oil. They need more assistance, you know, and faster assistance. It's been slow. I wish the president of Ukraine would have taken Russia more seriously in the beginning. And then maybe more of this aid could have gotten there if he would have asked for it. Now we're kind of in a limbo situation. So we just got to wait and see, don't we? (laughs) It's a sad situation and it's scary. And it's not fair to the Ukrainians. And hope that the president used some wise judgment, use wisdom. And I just thank God that there is a lot of people all over the world, not just the United States, but all over the world praying for this, you know, so, yeah. Those were uh, comments from a number of Oahu residents about the situation in Ukraine. We heard from a Hilo resident yesterday who was born in Kiev. He had 
have been checking in daily with his father and relatives about the situation in the city. Uh, he told us they were staying safe indoors, but they can't escape the sounds of bombs. Today, we heard from a Honolulu woman who returns to Ukraine every year and who bought tickets to fly there in mid-March. Elena Raut has lived in Hawaii for decades. She's a realtor with locations whose children were born and raised here on Oahu. We talked with her yesterday afternoon about President Putin's aggressive stance. We are on the phone basically all the time, but our city is a little bit more protected and less damaged um, physically than other cities. We have a very big volunteer center in our town, and uh, we have like um, good protection. Mm. So now people are just uh, watching what the, the devastation, uh, what happened in like in Kharkov or Kiev and other small towns and that's very heartbreaking so you have organized a number of rallies in support of the people of ukraine tell us about that so basically the people got very upset scared emotional about it and we wanted to get together to support each other um and uh, we want to bring awareness that people in ukraine they're standing strong it took us all this time to figure it out what's going on and stay in close contact with the families and as more as we talk to them as more we listen direct news from ukraine and government we kind of know who to trust and what to listen we're just getting the feelings that uh, they're absolutely standing strong they're very scared they're like they're very scared but the the whole situation is how uh, convinced they are that they uh, supporting the government and they are trying not to panic and do things to fight back. We created a, a group for like-minded people because we had no clue what response we'll get. And um, it's just a group on Facebook. It's called Hawaii Stands Strong with uh, Ukraine. And it's basically, it's a good response. People reaching out all the time. Did you ever think that this day would come to see those tanks rolling? Like I purchased tickets to go to Ukraine, uh, despite all the news, and even when we had level four advisory on our on the U.S. government website in Ukraine two weeks prior, I purchased tickets to fly to Ukraine on March 14. We were just positive that nothing like that could even. It, it's not possible that this would happen. And your family was just there last year, right? We go there back and forth all the time, like all the time. I was there like a year ago. But the most importantly, it's what's happening right now for the past two days. That's the most important. I, I think just to see those images on television where just ordinary citizens are armed. That's what I'm saying. It should bring a lot of awareness and message that Ukraine is ready to fight the Putin regime. If nobody else cares, then we will. And he he is seeing resistance in some of these smaller areas. A lot of resistance. Putin has seen a lot of resistance. Like nobody argues with our government right now. Because we understand it's the, it's the end of the story. If, if, if we're very passionate about it. So we stay strong with Ukraine. We believe in Ukraine sovereign, uh, that Ukraine deserves the right to be independent country. 
I left countries. I came to Hawaii when I was 25 years old. And I lived 30 years in Hawaii. Okay, so I came when I was 25. Now I'm 55. I go back and forth to visit my family. And my kids went back and forth to visit our family. So we get nothing but love. And actually, we feel very peaceful when we go to Ukraine. Right? Mm-hmm. So when disaster happened in 2014, all, all Ukraine united too. All Ukraine united. In my town, again, we back then even we saw a lot of volunteers helping soldiers and not thinking selfishly about themselves, but just thinking as a whole as a country. And, and then the new generation came around for the last eight years they they become very very patriotic young people they're very patriotic so now the putin comes and tell tell our country that we don't think you guys uh, deserve the chance to be as a country and it's not that people feel it's not fair people want the independence they want it to be recognized and no question about it whatever his issues and his mental instability in his head Whatever stories he keeps telling himself, that's all the stories to justify his aggression and very, very poor judgment of our nation. Everybody I know, they stand by. They stand by the same message. They have been very scared, and everybody is scared for their lives, right? Nobody feels joy of listening to all these horrible sounds. They like to see that we support them. Okay, they they like to see that people outside of Ukraine is getting the point. Well, we are seeing country after country issue sanctions against good. Russia for Very for good. what it's doing. Very you know, good. Switzerland, yes. Uh, yes. which usually and stays I neutral. And the nation that and 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 we appreciate that. Okay, so when when they see that we we, we see hope. Okay, we're outside of Ukraine. We're not there. But if I would be there, I would be voluntarily immediately, 24 hours. That's how I feel. Well, I think when they put the uh, nuclear force on high alert, well, that, that may- is horrible. How is that even possible? It's very spooky. It should be spooky for the whole world. Well, we'll see how well the talks go today. Um, so far, no breakthrough. It shouldn't be because he's only demand that from the first day till four days later he's very misinformed he had no clue that his boys are dying and ukraine soldiers telling that we're gonna kill you guys come on our land and we will kill you why they're not listening they should uh, every community around the world they should unite and go to their mothers mothers women or women belarusia women in russia and say woman you're gonna lose your children they're not doing the right things and they are emotionally disabled, emotionally. And our country will get emotionally strong. And how many people with ties to Ukraine do you think are here in the islands? It's hard to tell. I I used to, like, supervise what is called to speak Russian-speaking community. We call it Russian-speaking community. So it's basically for everybody who is from whatever we used to call Soviet Union, right? So... I mean, uh, not everybody on social media, but I, I, I feel we, we grew quite a bit of presence, like maybe 5,000 people on all islands, you know, mm-hmm. on all islands. 
and then but not everybody on social media so right. uh, our group on social media is very limited so whatever activities we're doing we're basically doing it for ourselves for for our families so bring awareness uh, in the local community to learn from each other and to support each other emotionally that's what we're doing and uh, there are a number of folks at the Russian Orthodox Church in Kailua I'm told the Greek Orthodox Church in Honolulu Mm-hmm. Where there are families uh, that are kind of grieving, just no grieving because their family probably in the cities that are destroying, destroyed right now. If people like in Kharkov, they they told just now we wake up in the morning, we listen to the news at six o'clock. So they told us that the Russians, like uh, despite everything, they're using the weapons of mass destruction, mm-hmm. mass destruction. Yeah, it's yeah. heartbreaking. And uh, where is that peace? What exactly they're doing in our country with the weapon of mass destruction? Well, what else does your group have planned? No, well, we're planning. So the basically, uh, we are uh, obviously we're not experts, but we are gathering from other groups around the country information where to donate money. What would be the reliable sources? We, like I said, we made this group. It's called Hawaii. We stand with Ukraine. That's the group. Right now, we we started the group on Friday morning. Right now, we have 211 members. For us, that's a big number. It's a big number. It's like-minded people that uh, want to help Ukraine to be independent and and strong. And that's what we're going to put, like, where to donate money, and we will keep supporting each other, spread awareness, and we will organize uh, meetings like we just uh, did on Friday, and we did another one on Sunday. We will continue every week. And hopefully we don't have to continue it for uh, very long. Once the fight stops, it's great. Mm -hmm. You know, we will stop meetings, but for now we just need like-minded people, and we don't... We we need to we need to spread awareness that everybody have their own fight. Mm-hmm. Okay? And That's uh, what we can do. Of the folks that you know, has anybody lost anybody? Any family members or friends? Oh my gosh! Yes, I, I like girls keep calling me. They telling me stories. They telling me that their loved ones actually voluntarily voluntarily took the weapon and went to fight and stand up and help. A lot of joint volunteer organization, and some people, of course, died, unfortunately. Uh, that was Elena Raud, who is helping to organize uh, rallies here. The group is Hawaii. We stand with Ukraine. A second round of rallies uh, is planned for Friday and Sunday on Oahu. Check out their Facebook page for additional info. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ferraro Choi, committed to environmentally sustainable architecture and interior design. Supporting Hawaii Public Radio for more than 25 years, ferrarochoi.com. 
Join us tonight for the next in our Hawaii Symphony Orchestra broadcast season. It features Symphony No. 4 by Florence Price, the first African-American woman to have her music performed by a major orchestra, and Michael Thomas Fumai's Full Metal, a techno-like surge of energy inspired by Japanese anime, plus a performance by beloved vocalist Ryatea Helm. Tonight at 8 p.m. on HPR2, your home for classical music. Sponsored by Furniture Plus Design. Support for HPR comes from UH Manoa's Richardson School of Law, offering a Master of Laws degree, helping international law graduates further their law studies in the U.S. More about the LLM program at law.hawaii.edu. check today. It's a reality check for unsuccessful Democratic uh, presidential candidate Tulsi <laughs> Gabbard. Honolulu Civil Beats Politics and Opinion Editor Chad Blair joins us today. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. And, and for a change, it's actually my own story today that I yes. did. And it's, uh, it's number one by far on our site today. It's gotten a whole lot of attention. Um, and so what happened is Tulsi Gabbard, of course, who was our congresswoman, for the second district for eight years up until 2021, she spoke at the Conservative Political Action Conference uh, in Orlando, Florida on Friday. It was a four-day event. Uh, Donald Trump, a featured speaker, his son, Donald Trump Jr., Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, Ted Cruz, the Texas senator, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I believe she's a representative from Georgia. A whole bunch of Republicans, many of them hoping to uh, run for president in 2024 if Donald Trump chooses not to. And this was a big catch for CPAC, as it's called, to have a prominent Democrat, someone who did run for president, as you said, just a couple of years ago. And she spoke Friday night along with Glenn Beck. Well, that very same day, back here at home, the Oahu County Committee of the Democratic Party of Hawaii passed a resolution, 15 to 2, condemning Gabbard uh, for appearing, for helping, uh, apparently helping uh, the GOP raise funds, of course, to run against Democrats. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we saw when she was running against uh, President Joe Biden, very critical uh, mm. uh, of his uh, policies. And, uh, yeah, uh, it, it just makes it a little tricky uh, to warm up to Democrats when you appear in an event like this. Right. So the resolution is is asking the, the Oahu chapter of the party to, to investigate this, to form a, an ad hoc committee to find out whether in fact, Gabbard might have helped uh, the opposition party raise money. There are bylaws. There's a constitution that the party has. There um, are a platform. They're all very detailed. They're all spelled out on the Democratic Party's local website. And and there's language in there that you know more or less suggests you, you pretty much don't cheer for the other party. Uh, I don't know that Gabbard knows about this. She may have heard. She did not respond to me reaching out to her. The only way I know how to reach her is directly on Twitter. She's on Twitter a lot. Uh, but no response from her. But this could lead uh, possibly to a reprimand, essentially a slap on the wrist. It could lead to censor. Uh, and it could even lead to expulsion, kicking her out of the, the Democratic Party. Of course, one might well ask is Tulsi Gabbard still a Democrat? Um, she has been not only highly critical of 
President Biden during the, the election, but also currently his policy on Ukraine, any number of things. Uh, and she was critical about Biden again as well on Friday. She mentioned cancel culture, some other elements. She also said she felt right at home there among Republicans, which was an intriguing line. Well, so then uh, what happens? I mean, so when does the party meet again and, and how does it right. Yeah, this is from Lorna Strand. She's the Oahu County Chair. Uh, and she says, uh, come March 19th, just later this month, the the local party will come together for their own conference. It'll be virtual because we're still in COVID, although that may change soon. We seem to be relaxing a lot of the restrictions. But anyway, what they're going to decide is whether there is something to look into and whether there, in fact, should some sort of action be taken. And Strand did acknowledge that, uh, um, you know, that expulsion might actually be a possibility. I don't know whether this will ultimately go to the, the state Central Committee, it might. I'm, I'm not completely well-versed on all of the intricacies of the bylaws for the Democratic Party. They are quite lengthy, quite detailed, but the Democrats locally are going to gather for their state convention around Memorial Day, and so we'll, we'll see what happens at then. And so we're waiting right now to, to see what happens. I should say that the resolution was introduced by a, a party member, Michael Galoyo Jr. You, you probably know mm-hmm. Michael. He's yes. very active, particularly in LGBTQIA uh, issues, uh, and and of course was strongly critical of Gabbard's former opposition, at least appeared to be opposition to uh, to gay marriage, and then support for it. But he said this is really strictly about whether she raised money for mm-hmm. the Republicans, which he considers a big no no, and he feels that the party would uh, has it spelled out in their in their directives that you can't do that. I know I can't remember has the Democratic Party ever kicked somebody out. Gosh, I, it's been a while. I'd have to stop and think. I, I know, remember when Laura Thielen decided to join the party, there was a kerfuffle because mm-hmm. her mom, Cynthia, is Republican. She worked for Governor Lingle, the Republican. And I know that there's some others that have come under fire. I think Mike Gabbard, her father, Tulsi's father, mm-hmm. has come under fire because of his positions. But I, I don't honestly know that's a story. That's right. my next story, <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> Find out if the party's actually kicked anybody out. Yeah. And then, you know, you went to a, a Republican Party uh, thing earlier this morning. Was there any mention of, you know, Tulsi at all? No, no mention of Tulsi, but just briefly, Lynn Finnegan, the party chair, introduced a whole a whole lineup of folks uh, running for offices, LG, governor, uh, Congress, uh, Senate, uh, state legislature, and they feel like maybe this is their year because, well, let's just say this, Ty Cullen and Kalani English. <laughs> so they feel there might be some vulnerability among Democrats. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Jed. Thank you. That was Politics and Opinion Editor Chad Blair. Read his story online at civilbeat.org. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is making people nervous half a world away in Taiwan. Fears of a military threat from China are on the rise. Taiwan's leaders are watching the Ukraine crisis for clues about America's commitment to the self-governed island. The big question, whether the U.S. would jump in to stop a Chinese attack. That story from Taiwan and the latest from Kyiv. That's next time on The World. Beginning this afternoon at 1.
In our Backyard Quiz, we spotlighted the career of Native Hawaiian music artist Lena Machado, affectionately known as Hawaii Songbird. She was born in 1903 and raised by a Hanai family that wasn't musical and discouraged her interest in singing. But she nonetheless learned to play the ukulele. Growing up, Kapuna taught her how to write lyrics with kaona, or hidden meanings, which can be found in much of her mele. Radio manager Marion Mulroney gave her a big break, which was followed by a wide-ranging career featuring occasional singing gigs with the Royal Hawaiian Band, and at one point, her own radio show. Uh, at one point, she formed a musical group with her husband and siblings called the Machado Troupe, which was the answer to today's Backyard Quiz. Uh, in 1965, she was injured in a car accident from which she never fully recovered. She passed away in 1994, but was memorialized when she was part of the first class inducted into the Hawaiian Music Hall of Fame in 1995. And we had no winners today. We stumped you. But that's today's quiz. If you have an idea for one, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. <laughs> Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from UH Manoa's Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, a member-based community for ages 50 and older. There are no tests or grades, just the joy of learning. More by searching Osher Hawaii. We crave connections. It's human nature to want to know what's happening in your community, in the news, and with each other. And we need those connections now more than ever. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio helps keep you connected, engaged, and enriched. Wherever you are, whatever's happening in the world, stay connected on the HPR app or ask your smart speaker to play Hawaii Public Radio. Raising Hawaii's minimum wage continues to be a debated topic in the islands. One of the bills lawmakers are considering aims to increase minimum wage incrementally from the current $10.10 an hour to $18 an hour by 20 26. Opponents say they're not against a raise, just raising it so much so quickly. One alternate solution to instead create job training programs in high schools to help students enter adulthood with the experience and skill set to earn a higher wage. Here's Giotaku resident, a restaurant owner and past president of the Hawaii Restaurant Association, Tom Jones. I also think that, you know, there's other solutions to those, you know, to those issues I think that our education system, in many ways, is targeting, you know, college as the goal for all of the students in high school. And in doing so, they're overlooking, you know, vote tech and career opportunities for kids that are, you know, in the 15, 16, 17-year-old range that may not be going to college or don't want to go to college and should be starting career opportunities at that level so that when they get out of high school, you know, they're, they're able to go to work. So I think well-educated Kids in, in, in technical areas could be making way above minimum wage when they graduate from high school. You know, if they're, if they're worth it, they'll get paid for that. And while lawmakers debate the minimum wage and consider alternate ideas, one local nonprofit continues to connect students to career opportunities with local businesses and organizations. Climb High was started in 2009 with the Lay Program. It was created to inspire youth to uh, select careers in Hawaii's visitor industry. Since then, the organization has grown. It recently marked the first anniversary of the launch of its uh, Bridge Online portal, which it says has dramatically increased participation in its programs. The conversations Russell Sobiano sat down with Climb High President and Executive Director Julie Morikawa. 
With a generous gift from the Hawaii Executive Collaborative, we gifted this tool, the Climb High Bridge, to the Hawaii Department of Education. And we kicked things off in December of 2020. And then starting in January, we meticulously onboarded all of the schools, starting with high schools, then intermediate, and then elementary. And that took us all the way through 2021 to get all of that done. And we built in a whole tiered structure for communication to be able to effectively implement programs. So with the tool, in that short amount of time, we have onboarded over 440 businesses and businesses being any type of entity that's able to offer opportunities. And over 3,200 educators from 151 schools. And the schools are from K through post-secondary. We also are, are bringing on post-secondary schools as well. So everyone is welcomed, and that includes the Hawaii Department of Education, and we've gone beyond as well to the Olalo Hawaii Charter Schools with Kamehameha Schools. And so in that short amount of time, we had amazing results. There were 324 events that were accepted throughout that time. The portal is a request-based system that has 11 categories created by P20, uh, also in partnership with the Chamber of Commerce on all of this. And so in those 11 categories, 324 events were accepted across guest speaking, career fairs, internships, mentorships, you name it. And every single district received accepted opportunities and every single category. So even in the middle of COVID, we were still seeing job shadowing and mentorships and internships being figured out. And these 324 events led to 32,000 students being touched by these engagements. So it's just magic. Once that connection happens, the educators and businesses are really making things happen. And businesses gave over 2,020 hours to all of this throughout the year. And you were mentioning earlier how each individual organization or business or teacher, it was a lot of work for all of them. But now there's this kind of central place where, where this can happen, where where if a business is looking for, to do a mentorship or a teacher is looking for an opportunity for a student or the government is, is looking to be able to help out in some way, now there's just kind of one place, right? And how does the portal work? Do they exchange information or do the organizations post opportunities or maybe teachers post what they're looking for? How does it work? So there's two users. So there's the educators and the businesses and the businesses place themselves in these 11 categories wherever they're able to help. And by placing themselves in there, it's not a guarantee. It's just solving 90% of the problem, which is having someone on the other end. So they put themselves, say it's in guest speaking, and they're just making themselves available to receive that request. And they can put in any requirements, primarily the lead time needed. And if there's any times of day or any other preferences that they may have. And then the educators go in and whatever they're looking for, maybe they're putting on a career fair. Maybe they need a guest judge or a coach. They look into those categories and say, see who's available to take that request. So they make their requests and then it goes across. Everything is email notified through the portal. And so it goes across to the business. The business can triage it, talk with their companies, or if it's them and their single individual, they're able to decide and get back to the educator. And then the portal stays with the party and make sure that the event happens successfully. And then there's also a post-event follow-up. And really importantly, it's all about the data tracking. So the tool also tracks all of the events, gives the businesses a central location to track all of the students, all of the teachers, all of the feedback, as well as the schools are able to track everything. So we've really worked to systematize workforce development and create these efficiencies. 
You talk about coordinating with teachers and the, and the DOE. I can't imagine that that was an easy step. I know whenever nonprofits work with students, there's always that extra step of making sure that DOE protocols are followed. So how was your organization able to streamline that process of connecting businesses and organizations with schools? Well, first of all, we've spent many, many years working with the DOE through our other programs. So we've built many relationships and coming into this, it's a wonderful public-private partnership. So I'd be remiss, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with all of the partners between the Hawaii Executive Collaborative, the Chamber of Commerce, the counties, lots of public and private entities have come together. So we really work hard to make sure we're communicating, making sure that we're supporting the educators as well as the businesses throughout this whole process. And that's really what's led to all of this success is, is just knowing that there's aloha, there's a huge ohana and everyone working together and taking those responsibilities seriously to make sure, because it's a delicate balance. If an educator sends a disrespectful email, the business will fall off. If the business doesn't reply, the educators won't use it. So it truly is a testament to all of us here in Hawaii making this happen. You've been quoted as saying, too many Hawaii students do not finish high school and too few go to college or pursue a career path. Do you think there's anything else that can be done by the community, by the government, by any other organizations to kind of work in chorus with what your organization does to help as many students as possible? What we built is infrastructure. So I love to talk about it this way. Thank you for the question, because it's this is not a project or a program. What we've built is infrastructure. So all of the companies out there, any other nonprofits, any, any other entities are all welcome to come in. And this is something we can all build off of. So as I mentioned, the Chamber of Commerce, all of the intermediaries are working through the portal. Intermediaries are folks that are helping serve between the business community as well as education in direct districts for the schools. This is truly a collaboration for everyone to come together. So we are an open book. We want to work with everyone and we want to just make sure that we can set up a successful future for our next generation. It's possible, it's here. And that was Julie Morikawa, president and executive director of Climb High, talking with HPR's Russell Subiono. We'll have a link to more information on the Bridge Online Portal on the conversation page of our website, hawaiipublicradio.org, later today. And that wraps it up for us today. We plan to hear from a former Peace Corps volunteer who worked in Ukraine. What do you think about the latest current events? What do you think about the counties relaxing the COVID restrictions this week? Call our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.